All right, let's get rolling here. Well, uh, this is Colin Shots. Hmm. I am Seth Partnow. Uh, first of all, uh, I've been uh, traveling for a couple of weeks, but if you missed it, I recorded an episode with uh, the new director or head of program strategy for Howard University men's basketball and my former coworker at the Bucks, Danny Marks, yesterday, and we had a lot of interesting things to talk about about the sort of uh, the NIL space and the growth of sort of. Uh, front office types roles in college athletics so to give that a listen if you if you want but today i'm joined uh by someone who i've had a lot of very productive uh uh, sort of private message conversations with over the years but this is the first time actually like speaking uh randy sherman of radius athletics uh who as the title of the episode implies uh radius is a is a company founded to um help coach coaches uh, thanks for joining me. How, how's it going? Good, going great. Thanks for having me on, man. And I'm excited to, to talk to you. Like you mentioned, we've we've chatted back and forth in the DMs, but I've never sat and chatted you with you like this. So I'm excited, man. I'm I'm honored that you're having me on. For sure. Before we get so before we get to, to radius and kind of coaches coaching coaches per se, I feel like the biggest on court stuff this week is the the, the two. Uh, very unusual, I think, games we saw this week between uh, the G League Ignite and uh, um, and the, uh, the Metro ninety twos from uh, 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 from France. Uh, you know, okay. featuring the presumptive top two picks in uh, next year's drafts. We didn't get to see a whole lot of Scoot Henderson in the second game last night. Right, he looked like he got a little bit of a Charlie horse. Um, but as a as a coach, as a talent evaluator. Um, that had to be a little bit of fun. Yeah, there there was some uh, some definite high end talent on display with 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 the potential for both of those players just sort of like making making basketball aficionados just sort of like scan their memory bank for have I seen anything like this? Um, so yeah, I think the tank will be on um, as they <laughs> say for a lot of uh, a lot of teams to try to get their hands on both Victor and possibly Scoot. So I enjoyed watching it and, and um, we'll be, I've, I've seen a little bit, you know, some of the European basketball accounts that I follow and I've had a subscription to some, some um, FIBA channels um, that, you know, you can watch like um, U20 and U18 world competition. So I've seen Victor play, uh, but seeing him here with the NBA sort of spacing and concepts and stuff like that, like, wow, okay, yeah, <laughs> I'm in. For sure. So this is this is an interesting, interesting pairing. Uh, so as a coach, is it fair to say it's a little easier to see what you would do with Scoot Henderson just because – as talented and, and dynamic as he is, there is sort of precedence for him as a player. Whereas does your mind just start to say like, what would I even do with that? With, with, you know, you know, seven foot five perimeter skilled mobile. Yeah. Like what do you, what, you know, in a, in a way that's almost so unique, it seems like it would almost be hard harder to figure out from a strategic standpoint what to do with. Yeah, I think I could figure it out, though. <laughs> uh, Definitely a uh, good problem think, to have. Think, but Yeah. Um, well, you'd be able to space the floor all, all five positions, which is a, a luxury that not every team at all, in most all levels have. Um, you don't, you wouldn't lose rim protection with, with playing, um, you know, with, with him at the, five obviously and and um you could you could um I, the the thing that would make my eyes light up is is sort of how um if we if we push in transition assuming he's going to collect a lot of defensive rebounds um you know we've got we've got the ability to to sort of look like go down back up and over and and he can walk into trail threes and play play against recovering defenders in transition and then if 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 he's closed out effectively, then can he's got enough ball san- handling skill to say get to the second side and trigger like a little dribble pitch or pass pass follow ball screen something like that and and be um, 
and and just man, it's like you've got size, handling, shooting, all 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 right there in one package. So I think I could figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It seems it's like it's almost the cheat code for like uh for for kind of running a, a you know high uh high efficiency drag stream game out of a secondary break or something like that. Yes. So he, he can shoot over Buddy, and he can move uh, to to be able to set screens at multiple angles, and he can put the ball on the floor. Some some things come to mind. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he he he'd be as equally strong on the pop as he would the roll. He he. Um, a lot of the European players come already like compared to a lot of American players a little more advanced in the ball screen game. So you you you're going to get that right away probably. So. Um, I think, you know, the, to make American football analogy, the, the whole playbook is available um, when, when you get into a drag screen with someone like that. Uh, but, you know, coaches are, are finding ways to implement, um, you know, screens after false motion and, and, and you know, to, to set it up to, to disguise it. And I could see him helping in that role too, rather than just straightforward drag, you know, like uh, making, make, you know, screening for him so he can go screen, arrive alone uh, to arrive alone at a screen, things like that. Like, yeah, I, my, my mind is, would be churning if I, if I was one of the tank teams that was um, going to get my hands on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> as long as, as long as you guarantee my deal for next year, I'm all in on, uh, on, on, uh, Playing some interesting lineup combos this year is yes, yes. the way we would put it. Yes. Um, so that that it's it's not a perfect segue, but it sort of leads to the to uh, kind of the meat of what I wanted to talk to you about, right? Um, which is, uh, I mean, you know, it, it seems like in your coaching philosophy, there's a lot of 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 uh, flexibility in terms of okay, here's what the players that I have can do here's how I want to play rather than you having sort of a way you want to play. Um, it seems to me that, that up and down, like the levels of basketball and this was, frankly, this, this was spurred by, um, you know, some comments from coming out of, of media day in, in, in New York. Um, mm-hmm. Some coaches have a very set way they want to play. And right. uh, it seems like part of what you do is, is sort of, I don't want to say chip away at that, but give coaches the tools to sort of expand. I, I would say that's accurate. Um, I, I would probably, when I reflect back on my time as a coach, I was a high school basketball coach in Texas for 11 years at the varsity level. And Texas pretty good athletic state, big, big high school program. So you're coaching good players and at a, at a pretty good level. Um, so I, if I looked back at my own coaching I would probably have to plead guilty to had a set way we kind of played and, um, and, and sort of tailored that. Um, but what I encourage now with the coaches that I work with would be to sort of strike that balance of like making sure we're not like being, um, I guess like, like flip flopping or not, or not really like getting good at anything, but, as a byproduct of always changing, always adapting, we, we kind of need to be good at something like, you know, not to use too many cliches, but like we've got to have something to hang our hat on. But um, the, that balance is hard to achieve as a coach of, of w- when do I let go of like this way isn't working or should we adapt a little bit more? The main thing I'd say I do with coaches in this regard is really just ask them you know, given what you have, what would be the top end way you could play given your talent constraints, your time constraints, and then really trying to dig into, okay, what, what would go into that from a practice standpoint? What would go into that from a, uh, a and, and maybe something we could talk about a little bit more is like, what are the trade-offs of playing that way? Like what, I get what good could come of it, but what, what are the downsides? So um, I don't think anyone wants to think of that. And maybe that's why I've, I've been able to sort of stay in business for several years now, because coaches kind of need to hear someone like, Hey, this is what I want to do. I need you to like poke holes in it. So that 
that that's sort of in a nutshell how I feel like you should maybe attack the should we be more strident in the way we play or more flexible. Um, I'm all about accentuation, meaning if we have a, a scoot or a victor or if we had a, a very, you know, a D1 level point guard, say, came through my high school program that was super like, what can we do to accentuate that? I wouldn't I wouldn't say um, that that we would deviate from from, say, things that we've been doing. But but man, what can we do to make this like gift we've been given of this player in our program to really accentuate their skills that 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 I think is good coaching. You're, you're pro if you have a you know a high level point guard you're probably not running a strict triangle for example some would like some coaches would like like you're saying like someone if that's what they've always done and what they what they are comfortable with and it's kind of all they know they would you know like the old joke was Dean Smith was the only person who could hold Michael Jordan under twenty right you know like the 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 uh, uh, the some would but yeah like if if I'm all about helping a coach or, or when I coach myself, like how can we accentuate the things that these players do well? And yeah, if I had high school, Allen Iverson come through my program, I'm probably not going to like be in some box set where the lanes crowded and running screens underneath the rim all the time along the baseline. I'm, I would, I would think common sense would tell me like spread the court out, get, you know, let him have space and, and, and attack and play off that attack. And especially as, as sort of athletes take more athletes and, and perhaps the high school level parents take a little more control over careers, basically. Uh, if you did that, you probably wouldn't have that player in your program for a whole lot, for a whole lot longer. Right. There are <laughs> options and, yes, and exactly. the, the transfer portal is open at all levels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so I, I, have a, I have a good friend who is the who is the, uh, the 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 coach of the ultimate frisbee program at my alma mater, Carlton College. Uh, go cut! Um, and we had a, a long conversation earlier this year about um, you know not necessarily in inter- like what I was asking him. What do you want? His, his name is Phil Bowen. Uh, you know, what do you want other people to say are the characteristics of a Phil Bowen coach team? Mm-hmm. And nothing he said. It's a different sport than basketball, but it you know, there's a lot of similarities. There's yeah. nothing he said that was, you know, X's and O's strategic about it. It was it right. was you know about sort of, um, of of style of 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 competitiveness and characteristics rather than we are going to do this on offense and this on defense. That's always struck me as a better way to do it because you're more able to you know work with it at sort of those philosophies with the talent you have but that also seems like like hard um just as you know as a sport develops the the x's and o's get get very complex mm-hmm. so is that is that sort of a balance that you're you find yourself having to strike and was that is looking back on your own career was that maybe where you fell down um I would say what I, I, I'll answer you this way. An exercise that I do with, with coaches that I work with is sort of like an intake exercise, if you will. So a coach, you know, we agree to work together and joins up with, with the program I run. And, and one of the sort of intake exercises that we do is, is sort of like have, and, and take this question you're asking me and divide it into two buckets of, 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 like your friend, you, 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 um, you ask him, what do you want reflected in your play? And it might've come out sounding like connectedness or hustle or all these like sort of intangible qualities. And, and I think identifying those is important. So that's part of what we do with the, the, with coaches is sort of like, what, what characteristics would I see from your team from, from an interaction standpoint, from, like a, a, a novice might take away, like, man, this team really gives maximum effort or something like that. But what I also try to do with coaches, Seth, is, is then, okay, let's go to the other bucket of the tactical things you mentioned. What, what, what would jump off the page that this team does really well and, and, and make sure that we, we can a, – a, a coach watching your team play, scouting you, a fan that's watching you play, they might not articulate it in the same lingo that a coach would, 
but they're picking up on something that this team does exceptionally well. Um, so I would I would say we we try to divide those two buckets and 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 help coaches like identify the characteristics, but also some of the tactical things that again we want to we want to articulate those things and and prepare and 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 create a system that brings it about through practice to where we make sure we're at least good at something and not not knee jerking to every game like we lost i'm going to put in a new offense we lost i'm going to quit teaching man i'm going to go zone you keep doing that and you you end up with a team or a, an organization. I know you talk a lot about NBA basketball mostly. So I'll use the word organization. You end up with an organization. It's like, what are they really even trying to do from the top down, much less on the court? Like I can't really tell what they're trying to do and it's always changing. So I would say a, a good response from your friend, the, the, the characteristics that we're looking to display, but also I try to kind of hold coaches to at least committing to a few things like we're going to play great man-to-man defense. And like after our first loss, I'm not going to like pull the ripcord on it and take an, another path. We're going to kind of like stick with that and see that through. No, that makes perfect sense. And I guess the, the sort of the middle ground would be, okay, we're going to play great man-to-man defense, but you know, depending on who I have on my team, that might be, we might be playing, you know, uh, you know, hedging, switching on, on ball screens, right. or we might be playing a, you know, a pretty substantial, you know, center field or drop just based on, on a, you can play great man-to-man defense in a multiple different ways, but we're going right. to play great man-to-man defense. Yeah. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to create a false dichotomy of like, it has to be zone or man, or it has to be pressure man versus right. a containment man. There's, there's a spectrum that a coach could select from. I feel like my role in coaching coaches is like, listening first what what does this guy think or our or girl or woman think they can do with their team given their personnel what they're articulating to me i listen to it and then i then i do my job of like okay let's say we're going to play a real saggy containment man-to-man because maybe we don't have the quickness to get out and pressure pressure the ball pressure passing lanes okay i, I hear you on that I, i've been there what are what what are the ripple effects that I'm not seeing? Well, the team can sort of maintain possession if we're playing without a shot clock. We just pass it east and west all night and like control the tempo of the game. We don't force any turnovers, therefore we really have to be we can't commit any when we have the ball or we're going to be upside down in that category. So yes, you have strategic options, but I think pointing out the trade-offs of those options is maybe where I step in and help coaches think about um okay that sounds good but what does that mean and when you get beat by your trade-off like don't stomp and kick like you're in drop coverage and you're forcing the over and the guy hits the mid-range pull up while your big is dropped like okay shrug and like that that's what we asked for we, we some tweet milwaukee bucks twitter uh fan twitter by the yeah, way yeah it's you know it's it's been for the sort of the entire uh uh, you know, my, my colleague at the athletic Eric name is, is always amused by this is like any game where a team hits a bunch of pull up jumpers. It's like, Oh, the system is blah, 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 yes. blah, blah. It's like, okay. What about the, what about the other four games that they won by 15? Because the, the, the math, you know, the math worked in their favor. Yeah. yeah. Cause the, cause the casino ends up with all the money eventually in, in, in blackjack. Right. Well, um, I, I can tell you that that is not, unique to NBA fandom. I talk to coaches all the time in, in private one-on-one conversations who have, have maybe taken a, uh, you know, tried to tidy up their shot chart and are kind of going with the rim and three philosophy with their offense. And, and, you know, the townies and the old school guys in town are like, ah, they shoot too many threes. And like, you know, this, they need to post up or take it to the pain or, you know, so that that's, that's that's not just unique to NBA basketball fandom. So, no, that, yeah, that's the, the, everyone has a, has an opinion. Um, it's the the great thing about basketball is that they fairly. It's uh, do you ever play the the uh, there's a board game called Mastermind? It's essentially like almost like Wordle but colors instead of letters. Uh, and the um, the inscription on the box. I don't know why I remember this. Was uh, yeah. you know a minute you know uh, a minute to learn a lifetime to master. 
Huh. Right. And and to coach is to be second guessed. Like that's just yeah. the way that's just if you can't have handle that, then don't put a whistle around your neck. You know, like that's just the way it is. So I wanted to, in terms of, of, of developing coaches, there are sort of, or helping coaches self-develop, I guess. Right. There are two, two, two topics I want to hit. Uh, okay. Um, the, the first one is, is, you know, okay, we're, t- we're talking about, uh, you know, coaches developing. It seems like an, a really an under, at all levels of basketball, it, it's one of the invisible things that coaches do is player development. Um, right. Like what? What kind of, of tools do you do you, do you give to, to coaches to get better at? You know, how do I get my players better? Like it's it's uh you know the Jimmy's and Joe's not X's and O's. Well, how do I how do I you know if I'm a high school coach and I'm I'm limited to the kids who live around, how do I make the kids who live around <laughs> be better? Right. I would say one of the main strategies that that I've I've found successful with some of my most ardent clients are is to help them simplify. Um, There's so much information out there now about player development and, and, you know, there's trainers that have huge followings and create content on Twitter and there's YouTube's rabbit holes you can go down and, and that, um, that I feel like a lot of coaches just sort of like they want to develop players. It's not for lack of effort or trying it's, it's too many voices and philosophies and and are, are, are swimming in their heads. And, and I try to step in and and say, okay, how do you want to play? Like, what are we, what's our goal here? What's our shot profile trying to look like? What, what's, what actions are we going to use in our offense and, and yeah, we could, we could learn all these other things you're seeing in different channels and things like that. But like, how are we trying to play? What are the actions we're going to use and how can we sort of marry the, the skill development pieces to our style of play? The things that we're going to try to do with this team or this basketball program, how can we marry those to collapse timeframes? So perhaps at the same time we're learning some skill, better footwork, how to use a ball screen, for example, things like that. Like at the same time, we're learning tactical pieces that fit within that skill development framework. That that's, that's the strategies I try to give them is how can we sort of narrow in the thing, given, like you said, you may not have time. You obviously, if, unless you're, if you're at just a general, you know, any town USA public high school, you don't recruit and things like that. You, you've got limitations, but given those limitations, how can we collapse timeframes? What worked for me when I was a coach is just tightening up. Like we can't teach these limited players with the limited time, all the skills they're, you know, that we were hoping some of them are born with them or, or, or get them on their own through their just obsession with the game or something like that. But like, how can we collapse the time frame by marrying some tactical things? I feel like we need to go out there and execute as a team with the skill development. So that that's the main strategy I take with coaches in that regard. Are you are you a, are you a big fan of of uh, small-sided situations? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um you know, I'm of the age um I am I'm, I'm about to turn 50 um th- this month. So when I first got into coaching, that was mid 90s. So I'm I'm I I dated myself there, but um uh, the, the coaches at that time who I, um, I guess, looked at as those are the smart coaches. Like those are the guys like a guy like me is intellectually curious, wants to wants to kind of do what the cool kids and smart guys are doing. Were, were Coach Knight, Rick Majerus, uh, a coach named Don Meyer, who you may have heard of. He's definitely out there in coaching circles. Uh, um, uh, Dick Bennett, the, the Virginia I, I coach's father. So, to, uh, yeah gravitated towards and my, my point and to answer your question about the small sided games and things like that is like those coaches coached that way long in the 70s and the 80s this is not a new thing like to, to they would take little you know passer screener cutter um off ball screening actions and turn them into three on three games and things like that i've watched dozens of, of bob knight practices when he came here i live in texas i coached in texas 
he came and coached the latter part of his career in Texas Tech. I went and watched maybe two dozen, 25 to 30 practices of his, and it's small-sided games and different goals, guys working on different screening actions, coming off curls and pin downs and, and back screens and all these like. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of that because it's it's game-like in the sense that like if someone were watching that drill being conducted, they that looks like basketball. Now, does it look like the five-on-five game that's on TV? But it looks like basketball. But a bunch of guys like standing in a line, chest passing back and forth to one another, that doesn't look like basketball. That looks like catch, right? So um, I'm a fan because they bring the practice environment closer to the game environment. This is a question I've talked to a lot of different people about this, uh, um, just in terms of it's sort of one of my kick is, is sort of uh, skill acquisition, cognitive point, and no one seems to have a great answer for how does one teach feel for the game. It's, it's something we, you know, there's a lot of different words for it. It's been called basketball IQ in the past or whatever. But really, like, for as much as, like, the skills, you know, having a, you know, a, a super tight crossover and a, and a, you know, beautiful jump shot and whatever else, um, knowing which tool to select from the box and win is really what playing any sport is, what playing basketball is. And it seems like mm-hmm. getting two players to help them make those, you know, 15 decisions they make every second about on the floor like that seems like, like that's the thing um yeah. do, you, do you have any sort of thoughts in that area or it's just kind of like all right we're gonna put them in game situations and get them reps and, and hope the light comes on uh well hope's not a great strategy so i i i, I, I don't <laughs> i don't want want that to be uh uh at the forefront of what we're doing i, I really think that, that man it's a great question like I, I don't know that I have an answer either, Seth. I, I would say that um, that you know I, I do think there's there's a lot of about basketball that's learned through informal play, like just playing in the driveway, playing in in the park, or um, and I think that that has been sort of stripped away from players now. Um, that you don't see that. Like I don't want to sound like bag back in the good old days or something, guy, but but. But like that, that, that sort of learning that takes place in the front yard driveways or the park or the rec center or something like that has been replaced with a lot of game. Uh, your, your experience with basketball is in an air-conditioned gym with two referees and a uniform and a coach. There's not that informal experimental learning that I think is vital. Um, so... I would say um, as a coach, what I advise to coach is like, you can complain about that. Like I get that complaint of like kids don't play informally. They don't learn these, these tacit skills, these problem solving skills, the basketball IQ, because they're always playing in a structured game. Okay. I hear that complaint, but then they get in your practice gym and what do you do? You put them in two lines and do uncontested layups or, three-man weave or something like that. So like now you've got an opportunity to right that wrong and your practices feed right back into this lack of transfer, lack of, 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 of game, um, game-like situations. Um, so if, if you do believe that, that that is how skills are acquired through that sort of the game teaches the game mindset, well, we should be practicing that way or, 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 our, our actions should reflect that. Now I get the I get the feeling and the need to sort of regress a drill. Like I'm trying to teach these guys to. I, I'm cool with like the game teaches the game, coach. But like my guys are throwing it all over because they can't dribble with their left hand. They're kicking it out of bounds or something like that. So I feel like I need to walk that back to a less game like or regress it to a less game like drill to just build the the motor skill of dribbling with my weak hand. Um, and, and I would say that that feels natural. And I know that, that we want to regress drilling back to a, to a, a level where maybe the defensive interference has moved so we can isolate that skill to bring it along. Um, but 
you know, you're, you're putting yourself on a slower path that way. I understand it's necessary. Then adjust your expectations. Like if I have a bunch of varsity basketball players who I feel like I'm having to walk back drills away from game like situations to address fundamental deficiencies, I should probably like expect my win loss record to be, you know, not we're not on our way to the state championship or the national championship with that with that problem. So, um, you know, I, I think that's that's a convoluted answer. Like, I, I don't know that that it's I would say it is at a coach's discretion to sort of feel like when when you can progress drilling or regress drilling. Um, the, the biggest problem I see, Seth, is when we've got something, meaning we've got this. We can dribble with our left hand or we've got guys or girls who can make right hand, left hand layups. They can, they, their shooting form is okay. Then they sort of stick with these sort of like on-air, non-replicating drills too long sort of in the name of repetition, right? Like we're getting reps. We're doing this every day. Well, you're doing something you already know how to do every day which is like i don't like i call that like i would analogize that to like tying my shoes right like i i learned to do it when i was what seven or eight years old i don't do it any better now at 49 than i do then so repping it every day even though i've already got the skill that that's not led to better performance i I, you could stop watching me tying my shoes it's probably been the same for decades i'm not getting any better at it by doing it every day i've already got it let's let's load that drill Let's add complexity to it. Let's to where we now progress up that pathway from from sort of low interference to more game like. I mean, in, in in that analogy, it's like okay, now you know how to do that. So uh, you tie your shoes before practice starts. Yes, yeah, you, like the the kind of the, you can the, the sort of the rote skill maintenance, physical skill maintenance stuff can can happen in a less you know, okay, we don't, all 15 of us don't have to be in the gym for you to right. work on dribbling your, with your weekend anymore. Right. Well, well, you know, a college coach, a, a high school coach um, is going to have to deal with part-time players. Maybe not a college coach, but a high school coach definitely um, is going to have to deal with players who aren't um, single sport, not dedicate. They play maybe multiple sports or they're, they're, so their skill deficiencies are going to be a problem you're going to have to deal with. But I know as a head coach, I want to eradicate that. Like, I don't want to continue dealing with it. Like if I, so, so, um, you know, using youth coaches, junior high, middle school coaches and all, you know, sub varsity coaches to sort of like, okay, your role is to kind of do this. So when they get to me or when a college coach, like I, when I'm, when I'm selecting from, a pool of players I'm recruiting from, we, I don't have to do this. We can move on to other more advanced things. Um, I think what ends up happening though, is sometimes skill development and winning a game sort of are at odds. So um, I can just have one guy on my sixth grade team who's pretty good and I'm I'm dad who wants to win the sixth grade basketball league, and I can just put the ball in that one guy's hand and tell the other four to just sort of you know get out of the way, right? And and we get this this that that's not good for the the development of the other players. Now it's, it's going to maybe win the sixth grade league trophy or something, but we we've got to balance skill development with winning upstream from sort of the more competitive levels of play. And you have just described why the U.S. men's national team is not winning the the soccer World Cup anytime soon. Correct. Is this is the oh we got to win this under twelve championship, and that doesn't uh, necessarily that that might help you win at the, the, the under twelve championship, but it's not going to make create the best nineteen year old players down the road. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough in the work I've done the last seven or eight years with to to interact with basketball coaches in other countries: Australia, Canada, Spain. Um, who who found me on social media or the, the internet or wherever and 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 um, there's there's a lot more long term athletic development mindset in the in the in the basketball curriculum and coaching education that that we could learn a lot from not only in basketball but as you mentioned other sports. 
So this is, um, this in some way leads to what was really the genesis of us having this conversation now, which was, um, again, I referenced uh, quotes from, from uh, Tom, Tom Thibodeau, and he was like, well, I'm not mm-hmm. worried about these, uh, paraphrasing, I'm not worried about these things because I watch a lot of film and I study. And sort of my question about that is, okay, what are you getting out of that? If you're, right. if you are watching film and are just sort of reinforcing a rote set of things, um, you know, this is something that is across not just sports, but across disciplines is like people who become so expert in a thing get so hung up on the details that they as experts can recognize that they, okay, well, this, this player is setting the screen goal perfectly, but the, but having him do that or for whatever reason, it's not producing efficient offense. So the fact that he does this one thing, well, what does that get you as sort of a, and that seems like the the super I'm going to grind film for twenty hours a day uh, mentality. I think mm-hmm. can lead to that losing the forest for the trees. Yeah, and also not not to offer up another analogy or or, or cliche would be your 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 ladder is leaned against the wrong wall, you know, and and uh, <laughs> and that that's that's a problem. Um, I always say. You think back to college, uh, your, your, I don't know, your field of study might've been different than mine, but I, I was required to take microeconomics and macroeconomics. And I remember both of those courses very well. They were like probably my freshman or sophomore year in college. And, and, um, you know, my classmates kind of in the same classes I was kind of maybe I saw some familiar faces in both classes like fall was micro spring was macro something like that right and and I I think listening to some of my my um, classmates of like macro most people felt like microeconomics I got an A in that that was pretty easy I'm, I'm good with that like but then macroeconomics came and I was like whoa this is this is kind of different and weird and like a little but like I'm, I'm not getting this as, and I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this analogy, is is, um, I feel like if if we could analogize it, if there was a course called micro basketball, and a course called macro basketball, coaches would get an A plus in micro basketball. Easy, I can tell you the five bullet points of what exactly what I want a defensive stance to look like, like palms up nose down, hips up, feet, like all of that. But they would probably get a D or an F in macro basketball. Talk to me about space manipulation. Talk to me about how, you know, your transition flows connect to your offensive sets. And, and, and so like when I ask coaches to sort of zoom out, they really can't and, and struggle with, with sort of like looking at the macro principle, they're great at like, okay, here's the five teaching points we want for a ball screen. You know, we want to, you know, they've got all their bullet points all memorized. And, but like when I ask you about space manipulation, how, how a, a small decision might have a trade-off that impacted pace or something like that. It's like, what, you know, like, so that's, the crux of my work the last few years with coaches has been continually zooming out, zooming out, zooming out. And, and, and let's get a basketball program. Who's good at those big zoomed out things before we like get into the granular level things of like your example of like, Oh, I'm watching him set this screen, rewind, play again, rewind, play again. And his foot placement is there wrong. Well, it's generating, a low efficiency mid-range shot off screen. So from a macro basketball perspective, should we even be doing this? No, I, I think it's interesting to hear you say that because this has been sort of one of my, uh, for uh, the way I is that, you know, uh, I'll, I'll put scouts in here. My experience coming at this from the analytics side is that, Coaches and scouts, kind of traditional ta- talent evaluators, are tend to be pretty amazing at like identification of who can do this or that thing well, and tend to struggle when you say, "Okay, well, how is that? How do you value that relative to someone who does that okay and does this other thing at an elite level?" 
Um, and and so it, it's very interesting to to hear you say that that's something that 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 you sort of observe from coaches that the that almost the the detail stuff is is I don't know if it's easier but it's it's um, it's it's memor it's memorizable yeah. if that's a word yeah I can I can give good coach to borrow one of your catchphrases like by <laughs> I know the I know all the bullet points of how to defend and a ball screen or how to. I can rattle that off because I've just read a blog about it or heard a coach speak about it in the clinic. But like, yeah, that, that, that's like, like, you know, I used to be a classroom teacher that's required in Texas to coach as you're, you're a teacher and a coach. And, you know, I would give an exam and the first question that a kid, you know, I say, okay, we're going to have an exam Friday. And, you know, one of the first questions was coach, is it going to be multiple choice or essay? That's one of the first things I wanted to know, right? Is it because one, one requires that I don't really understand. I can just cram all night, remember my facts, figures, dates, whatever, spit it out on the test, get the grade and get on out of the way. The other requires that I have to be able to synthesize information, understand a concept, relate it back to you through writing. Yeah, I'm not that that's much harder. That that's sort of what I think coaches are great at the things that I can just rattle off. Your defensive stance should have this characteristic, this one, this one, and this one. But like the bigger understanding pieces are a little bit harder to wrap our heads around. It's like baking versus cooking. Yeah, we, we say we want chefs, not cooks. Yeah. Um I think that's a that is a, a great transition to the last thing I wanted to talk to you about. So we talked, you know, we started talking about the uh kind of the biggest on-court to-do of the week in the, the sort of the, the prospect games in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're recording this on, on, on Friday and a couple hours ago, uh, TMZ obtained however they obtained it. Um, you know, there's probably going to be a lot said about that later. But the video of the, the practice altercation between Draymond right. Green and Jordan Poole uh, with it. the Warriors. And I don't want to, like... like we we saw you know twenty seconds of video with no audio, and I don't so I don't want to opine specifically on that incident. But you know you're talking about mm-hmm. zooming way out, um, like this seems almost the the sort of the, the the interpersonal dynamics and discipline and stuff like that. That seems like even a harder point part than what is my broad offensive philosophy. So. Like, you know, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that aspect of it? And is that something that you, you like, like, how do you counsel coaches in terms of, of dealing with, with, with that? Um, I think we, we were talking before and like, I don't think either that a zero tolerance, like no dust ups in practice ever. That's bad. Everyone's running and it's unacceptable. I don't, I don't think either of us mm-hmm. think that's right, but you know, how do you, how do you find that balance? How do you address a situation like this? Um, yeah, that, that's, um, that's, that's a tough one because, um, the, the scene that I saw on video, obviously, you know, a, a punch was landed and, and someone looked, appeared to be knocked, not maybe knocked out, but definitely knocked to the ground. And, and you can only imagine how that might've hurt and felt. So, it was an ugly scene, but um, I think friction—I'll use that word for for whether that's whether that's physical friction or like we're just in a heated argument—is inherent in teams. Um, you've got multiple people, different personalities trying to coexist. Uh, you know, training camp is no fun for anybody, so they're they're probably tired of going against one another and and ready to, you know, uh, get in, get on with the, the next phase out of training camp. And, and so I do think that, that friction is bound to happen. Um, as a coach, I think you have to spin that friction to, to get, get to the other side of what, what, what was meant to come out of that. Can, can these two players or the, the, the source of the friction what what really is it? What's the real issue? It it might have been mask behavior might have been on the surface about something that happened in a drill or a scrimmage, but what's the real issue? 
and the friction sort of forces the coaches and the management to deal with the real issues. So therefore, on the other side of that, we get progress. I've sort of my rule of thumb has been like you never want there to be a fight. But if you go through a season and it never happens, like you just wonder about is the intensity high enough on the teams that on the yes. most successful teams that I've been on and, and been associated with. Um, you know, once you get like at a, you know, once you certain, you don't want, I get on a sixth grade team, you don't, you don't want that. But at a certain level of competitiveness, about two a season seems right. Like it's a, you're probably, you're, you're, you're practicing with a healthy edge. If, that's the over under. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, without, without scientifically studying it. Yes. It seems like, it seems about, about right. Is that, does that sound about right to you? I, I would, I would. That maybe sounds low. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, yeah, I would maybe not fisticuffs. So, right. um, um, but but yeah, some you know shouting matches or guys having to be separated. Like, yeah, like I, I think I think there are coaches who who maybe their coaching style is almost to invite that. They 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 create super competitive um, practice environments where things will get edgy. Things will get chippy. Uh, we're competing for playing time, and you know we're tracking who's winning drills, and that matters as to who's going to be in the first string, second string, whatever. Um, then that 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 creates incentive to really go at one another, go at one another in practice. And there's also the the idea of like I see these guys every day. I've known if I you know grown up in the same town with them, I'm tired of them, and I just want to punch something. You know, like. It, it, it happens. Um, is it, I, I do think there are coaches who, who feel that creating a little bit of friction that might bubble over from time to time actually gives their team sort of like um, this pent up um, emotion that they want to take out on their next opponent. You know, like, man, I'm just, you know, we've got this toughness. Um that, that was generated, that was cultivated through the way we sort of um, create these edgy practice environments. And um, I'm not sure that that strategy is, is something every coach should use, but um, the, the, there are some that use it successfully. It's, it's it, like, it was, it's like we were talking about earlier, like you're earlier, there's no, there's no recipe for, how to like create that environment and channel it productively. It can work. You could like, you know, you can cook with a lot of spice, mm -hmm. but at what point are we, at what point are we just, you know, causing damage to people like an episode of hot ones versus, yes. you know, producing food that is interesting and, and, uh, and palatable. Right. Yeah. That, that's the art of coaching. We've got to find, and, and, and um, I, I, another thing that I've noticed with coaches who I've worked with over the course of seasons is there's an evolution to coaching as well that comes through trial and error. Like you've got a good idea or what you thought was a good idea. You maybe tried to emulate a coach and it just didn't come out or something, you know, and you, you're like, I'm not going to do that next season. Or So like a coach should be evolving. It should be I'm learning from mistakes I'm doing more of what worked, less of what didn't. Um, and over time, um, we that's that's the same way to continue with the analogy that a chef would learn, like, yeah, that dish didn't get great feedback, so I'm gonna not do that again, or I'm gonna, you know, change the recipe a little bit to, you know, that's a coach should be the same way. Like the I, I predict your coaching would continually improve if you paid attention to feedback, paid attention to failures as much as you do successes. In fact, pay attention to successes and scrutinize those as, as diligently as you would a failure. Like, you know, you win a game, you don't like review that, that, yeah, oh, good, we won, next game. If you lose a game, you pour over the film. What could we, well, I would say what I try to help coaches do is like, did we win or did they lose? Or, you know, we're going to, scrutinize success with equal fervor and learn and evolve is 
that is uh, that is pretty that is pretty music to my ears. Um, I think it's sort of it's a uh, you know um, there are many environments where it, it is easy to uh, you know assign every good result to me being a genius. And yes. it's it's it, you you're almost you're depending on how successful you are you're almost you're you're having your ability to improve if yes. you just like no that was good we don't have to watch yes. that one again we won yes yes exactly like we we held them to fifty points you you held them to fifty points or they scored fifty points let's examine that like like you know they they missed eighteen wide open threes. You you patting yourself on the back for that, you know, like that that that's not sustainable, right? Like like um, so um, yeah, th- those are those are. I think that's my role in coaching coaches is to sort of be the devil's advocate. Um, that 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 maybe they need, so it's it's worked. And I, I would want to say to you, Seth, that like I followed you and read things you write and and is. And therefore you've impacted me. I want you to know before we adjourn that you're, you're maybe help you. I want you to know you're helping coaches as well. Vis-a-vis some things that I've learned from reading and talking with you and, and that, that there is, there's also that like your, your person who you influence influences others. So I want you to know that too, especially when it comes to like helping coaches understand data a little bit better. I've, I I needed to learn more, and that's why I enjoy you know reading the things that you and the content you create because I I want to impart the things I learn in my current role to those actually out on the front lines coaching the game. Oh, I, that's 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 very heartening to hear. I really appreciate that. So um, you may not know it, but you're influencing coaches. You are. Uh, I, I, I'm aware of it at times. I'm not. I'm not always sure the influence has been a positive. Uh, but <laughs> I've been influencing them to anger at times. But uh, that's well. If you make them it. think, that's that's good. Whether whether they agree or not, but you sort of make someone take pause. I think that's good. Sure. Uh, Randy, thanks a lot for this time. I've I've already kept you a few minutes longer than I said okay. I would. Uh, before before I let you get out of here, if you just want to uh, let people how they can. Uh, you know, get in touch for more information. Uh, coaches listening to this and, and, and thinks that, uh, you know, some of, some of the discussions you're talking about having seem like something that would, uh, that would help them. Um, so, uh, you know, g- give me yeah. your elevator, like let's close with your elevator pitch. Yeah. I would say if, if, if you're a coach out there who's looking for someone to sort of partner with you and be that devil's advocate to be eyes and ears and, and, and just another voice, um, just reach out to me. Twitter is fine, radi- at Radius Athletics. Randy at RadiusAthletics.com is the email. So, yeah, uh, just just hit me up, and, and we'll, have a, we'll have a conversation, and, and uh, maybe I could help you or, or, or clear some things up for you. So, yeah, appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This is, uh, I think we, we covered a lot, uh, basically everything that I, that I was really interested in about and i'm sure we'll continue to talk about a lot of these things going forward absolutely well enjoy the upcoming season man and and i'll I'll be following along Uh, thank you and thank you for joining and folks thanks for listening i'll be back next week with more call and shots take care and have a good weekend